0: Welcome to Dragon Talk, the official
1: Thunder and of Dragons podcast. Hi, Shelley Mazzanova. Hi, Greg Tito. How's it going? Great. How are you?
0: I am better.
1: You're older. I'm older. That's right. Greg Tito had a birthday. It's true.
0: I am now 94 years old.
1: You look okay. Yeah. Not too bad, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, my phylactery is uh, doing well. That's good. Yeah. No one no one will know where it is, mm. including you. It's not in my wine glass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, then I wouldn't know anyone.
0: Would
2: Sorry, that's
0: the secret of your flight. Phylac- you keep drinking your phylactery yep. all day long, and that's no why one I even drink thinks something. about it. They're like that's why I take care of my pee and I carry it around in jars because that's my that's You're where my soul what? is in. What did he <laughs> seriously? <laughs>
1: you got Ryan to laugh. <laughs> he lost
0: it. He totally lost it.
1: It's either sick cats or taking care of your nice.
0: pee. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Ethan Gilsdorf today. Isn't that exciting? I
1: I love talking to Ethan.
0: I know. know, He's one of the reasons why uh, I think I work here. Really? Yeah, because he suggested... I I was putting together a panel at PAX East in like 2013, 2012, and and he's like, you should ask Shelly madsen to be on the (gasps) panel. I was like, okay, great. I love... That's a great name.
1: Ethan suggested
0: that? Yeah, exactly. And then we were on a panel together in the Wayback Machine, like five years ago. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, when I'm interviewing here, Shelly's there. She's like, yay. Yeah, Greg
1: Tito. I said, I love Greg Tito. Exactly. And that... That is that was why it. you got hired. It was a high five. They were so like, I don't, hmm, I don't really know about this Greg like, Tudogar. And then I waved my hands in the air and said, I love Greg Tito. Like you're a and Kermit. I'm like, oh, you're doing- sold.
0: Yeah, totally. Exactly. In like Flynn. Totes. Awesome. So I but, can't wait to talk to him. He did a, uh, a great uh, TED Talk, a TEDx Talk. I
1: don't know anyone who's done a TED Talk. It's kind of cool. Ooh, yeah, I'm fancy. like a degree away from well, TED Talk. I know talking. at
0: least you know a few people who've done some TED Talks. No. Well, yeah. Exactly.
1: Well, his TED Talk was about D&D. Which is
0: even uh, amazinger.
1: And he's got some awesome home video. Yes. I think he put that on Facebook too, yeah. and I think we're gonna have to dredge that up because before he's... home video is, is yeah. a thing. Yeah, yeah. or was yeah. it? a I don't know. It was a picture of him or home video or something. Oh of, yeah, yeah of no. it young was. Ethan. was like a super. It really was. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah, it
0: was like film, but it was it young actually Ethan. made Yeah, you know,
1: so crazy. It hasn't changed a bit.
0: So we got uh, Storm King's Thunder coming out uh, uh, in August. Very uh, cool. And, uh, it's August 25th, I believe, and uh, for for game stores and uh, September 6th worldwide. Wow. So check it out then. Uh, we've been learning some great lore uh, on a new segment called You Should Know. Lore You Should Know, right. So uh, if you're interested in Storm King's Thunder, uh, stay tuned. Uh, We'll be talking to uh, Chris Perkins, Matt Cernit and Adam Lee uh, uh, over the next few weeks uh, about some some lore uh, from those areas. BTW. Yes.
1: How cool is their job? Pretty much. They're uh, the story guys. Way cooler than us. They just make stuff up.
0: Yeah. We just... uh, Talk about stuff, yeah, which is less important than actually making up well, the stuff.
1: We're pretty important. <laughs> we're kind of a big deal. Let's
0: pat ourselves in the we back. We got. A
1: little bit. We get some pretty good guests lined up.
0: That's true. That's yeah. true. So let's jump into uh, some lore, and uh, uh, then we'll be back with uh, Ethan Gilsdorf.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: All right, welcome to Lore You Should Know. I am joined uh, by uh, our two very lore people. Is that a word, lore-y? I just made it up, we'll say we, we coined that. Uh, Matt, hello. Hi. Uh, good to see you again. Good to see you. And of course, Chris, hello. Hi there. How's it going? Uh, all is well. All is well. We are here to talk about the Ring of Winter, a very interesting item uh, throughout the history of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, uh, I'd love to see, it's, it's kind of a focal point for one of the facets of the story in Storm King's Thunder, but it's, it's got a long history before that. So, uh, Matt, what can you
2: tell us about where The Ring of Winter uh, uh, kind of came from? As far as I can tell, The Ring of Winter basically stems from the novel of the same name, The Ring of Winter, by uh, James Lauder. And that happens, at, or that comes out in 1992. Mm-hmm. And then there, there's just sort of a ripple effect throughout a whole bunch of other products where the Ring of Winter just gets mentioned here and there. It's, it, like gently name-dropped throughout 1992 and 1993. There's a bunch of other products. So like, it, it, it runs the gamut from everything from uh, you know, the Haunted Halls of Evening Star to uh, the Crusade novel, which is sort of like this... Um, uh, Genghis Khan style invasion of, uh, of the Forgotten Realms from the East and you know it's it's this artifact that's super powerful that a whole bunch of people have been looking for. So for, the, for, for example in the Crusade novel uh, Princess Alasair of Cormier mentions to her father that she's been looking for the the Ring of Winter that she, That's one of the quests that she's gone on while her dad hasn't been paying attention to her basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then it, you know, it, it just again and again, I just get little hints of it here and there. And then, it's more fully detailed in some other products, uh, like Volo's Guide to All Things Magical, uh, is a is an old uh, book that um, really gave it a full on rundown. And then there are a couple other products that give both uh, the character from the novel, artists uh, Simber Kimber, I don't know which I would say, um, the uh, the Ring of Winter and both of them detailed together. So, like, uh, there's the Hero's Lore Book and uh, Villain's Lore Book details a villain from there, mentions that again. and uh, It's even in, like a, like I said, in 1992, there's, like, a Fantasy Collector's card set, and it gets into that. It gets into the Spellfire cards. Um, so, and then it's been mentioned here and there from uh, then on. So what are, uh, uh, what are the specific powers
0: that the Ring of Winter uh, is able to do? It's a powerful artifact.
3: Yes. Uh, one of the things it does is it halts the natural aging process of whoever wears it. Oh. Uh, but all of its other powers are largely cold-themed. Um, some of its cooler abilities is the ability to actually craft things out of ice, objects, and creatures.
0: I like that you said cooler. Yes. I just wanted to the things.. Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: and so you can actually make uh, ice constructs out of it. Uh, And then, in addition to those abilities, it's got a series of spell-like abilities all tied to cold. It can do cones of cold. It can do ice storms and sleet storms. It can uh, uh, lower the temperature in a fairly large area um, and uh, create these sort of winterscapes um, kind of in a local area. And those effects can last long after the ring and its wearer have departed. So you might just be wandering through a forest and then suddenly there's this winter wonderland where this power was activated and it's just now perennially cold and frozen over and um sort of trapped in winter yeah
2: there's a there's a moment in sort of realms history when the um the ring of winter is sort of first discovered and it's it's like 163 dr or something like that and it's someplace in cormier where essentially um it's first appearance is, is made known by the fact that like an entire village is like completely frozen in ice and everyone's killed. Mm. Um, you know? <laughs> and so it has this uh, tremendous power and I think to some degree it, it tempts the people who wear it to use that power in the, these really big, bold, tremendous ways. Um, and I, I, would, I don't think it's sentient I was just going to say, is, is it an intelligent it's magic not, item? There's no person in there, I don't think. But, but it is this sort of...
3: Um, there's this sort of um, almost primeval will yeah. sort of imbued yeah. in the item that sort of drives it to... Uh, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily malevolent.
2: It, no, you know, no. I mean, it, it would love if the wearer just made ice and didn't kill anybody. It just wants the wearer to use its power, you know. I see, all right, so it's more of a, a, a uh, uh,
0: it wants to be where it's cold. It wants everywhere to
3: be a winter wonderland. Yeah, and it wants to be used. It was obviously created for a purpose and just sitting on a shelf doing nothing is not its, you know, not really fulfilling its destiny. Right.
2: Uh, is there? Do we know uh, who created it? Do we know where it came from? That, that has always been a mystery. Uh, it 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 was a mystery to, in the history of the world, it was a mystery to the people who first found it. It was a mystery to um, the elves at the time. There's, there's a reference in uh, Kormathir Empire of the Elves that essentially, hey, if the humans hadn't been on such bad terms with the elves, maybe they wouldn't have made such a mistake with uh, the Ring of Winter, you know, because the elves are older and wiser and that kind of thing. But that... It doesn't mean that the elves knew what it was or made it or anything like that. It is—it's a strange um, just one artifact with well, a one-line reference. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe maybe they, it came
0: from them, but it's hard to say. Right.
3: And when I was researching the Ring of Winter for our story purposes, um, one of the things I liked about it is because it's an artifact, it, it is a little bit open-ended. Um, in various places, it says there might be other powers or other things that you can do with this ring that just haven't been unlocked yet, oh. or it has to be in the right hands for it to do so. Um, but it doesn't elucidate the details. It just sort of leaves that out there for DMs and storytellers to basically say, well, this ring is a, in addition to having all these pr- actual abilities, it can fulfill what other ca- other campaign needs or story needs you'd like it to. Um,
0: <laughs> you're kind of looking under the hood a little bit uh, to Chris's mind yeah, here where you're like, oh, yeah,
3: we can do anything. And that's true of a lot of the old school artifacts, the first and second edition AD&D artifacts often had open-endedness to them so right. that you could... When you were building them into a story, you could use them in a certain way that had never been really described before. Do we um, think it ha- is divine in nature? Mm, I, I hesitate to say.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, that's, I mean, my mind goes to there. If it's something that's so mm-hmm. powerful, uh, it might have been
2: touched by the yeah, gods. There's, there's reference to, uh, like in Faiths and Avatars, there's a reference to the Frost Witches being a cult of Oral, the goddess of winter who are searching for this item. Mm. So, so there are people who ascribe divine qualities to it and who think of it as something holy to them, but that doesn't mean it was made by Oral or anything like that. They, right. they just sort of claim that as their. Interesting, their. yes. Yeah. All right, and then the... the oh, sorry, were you going to say
1: something?
3: I was going to say the, the Frost Giants in Storm King's Thunder are after the ring because they believe it can bring about the Age of Everlasting Ice. It can basically be used... They can unlock its power to freeze the world, and somehow that will um, elevate them to the top of the Ordning, please the giant gods, and, and show Frost Giants are the true um, masters of, of Toril. Uh, but um, uh, in our partners at Cryptic... Um, who are going to be uh, expanding on the Storm King's Thunder story in their own uh, grand way, are also building a story around the Ring of Winter. And it does figure prominently in one of their expansions, but they're going to use it in a, more, in a, in a different way. Interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to explore that. Yeah, uh,
0: uh, in Neverwinter. hmm Um, and uh, so it's interesting to me that the Frost Giants uh, in Storm King's Thunder are, are after this this artifact that just seems perfectly made for them. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the yep. thing we've been waiting for all this time. And now yes. that the ordning is destroyed, now is our chance. Right.
2: Although I, I would say I think their their scheme to bring about their their. Um top of the organing rank, uh, seems a little harebrained. I, I, yes. I don't, I'm not sure Annam, the god of all giants, is gonna be happy if the entire planet's been frozen <laughs> over. <laughs> <laughs> right, this, every,
3: all, all of the giant schemes in the Storm King's Thunder are sort of uh, a little bit harebrained. Um, it's, these giants are, they're always biting off more than they can chew um, with, with their grand schemes, and it's not altogether clear that they have a genuine understanding for what the gods truly wish of them. Um, in many cases, their reaching and their reaches uh, far exceeding their grasp. Excellent.
0: Uh, so, if, uh, if uh, DMs wanted to use the Ring of Winter uh, uh, in in something like this, or even just as a preview, or, or, or a facet of, of Storm King's Thunder, as we were saying, what uh, what would be some good ways to do that, uh, or, or or would you caution them to enter add an art- artifact so
3: powerful to their campaign? Um, well, uh, they can always play the Neverwinter game. Uh, to see what you know, how the ring is actually used in the game. Uh, in terms of the RPG, uh, it is not meant to be something that the characters are, are going to get their hands on in Storm King's Thunder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mostly a plot driver. Um, that's not to say that we won't at some future point Uh, detail the ring in full uh, with all of its powers. In the meantime, you can just sort of assume that if you have the ring, you are a cold-slinging fiend who can pretty much uh, cast cold spells till the cows come home.
2: All right, you're basically like uber-Elsa. Yeah. (laughs) There was a draft of the rules for the the ring that was done uh, for the Dungeon Master's Guide 5th Edition. Um, but that hit the cutting f- room floor with a bunch of other artifacts that didn't make the cut. Yeah. So, um, but we still
3: have that material, and it will show up in the future at some yeah. Point. We we Somewhere. have some
2: ideas. I, I mean, if people really want to see what the the ring um, is described as, and uh, you know what what it's done in the past, they can certainly ca- check out a Volo's Guide to All Things Magical. Different from Volo's Guide to Monsters. <laughs> Same <laughs> Volo. <laughs> yes. Um, but that's, that's like a, something that you have to find uh, as a PDF on um, dndclassics.com. dndclassics.com exactly. Yeah. exactly. And then the novel Ring of Winter
0: yes. as well.
3: Yeah. Yes. There you can see a sort of narrative interpretation of what the ring can accomplish. Yeah. Awesome. And
2: that's certainly the, the sort of generative point for the whole idea. So uh, all of the things that people know about it and have theorized about it basically come from that novel. Interesting. Great.
0: Well, fantastic, guys. Uh, I can't wait to uh, learn more about uh, this artifact, uh, and uh, I'm glad uh, we were able to give this to our fans. So thanks, guys.
4: You're welcome. (laughs) Thanks.
0: I'm so excited to talk to Ethan.
4: Hello. Hello, Ethan. Ethan. Shelly and
0: I were just saying how we were so excited to talk to you.
4: And voila, you made it happen. I can't it. believe
1: we just conjured you out of nowhere. <laughs> it's amazing.
0: It's the ascending guys, stone.
4: You guys are just, I don't know how you do it out there. We are wizards. You are wizards. You we- should start a company with a name that has wizards in it. That'd be cool.
0: Yeah, like Bob's Wizards.
4: <laughs> <laughs> or. We are wizards, but with it, just it an wizards, R, yeah. Not wizards out. of the of, of of the discount, you know something. <laughs> <laughs> discount wizards. Discount wizards.
0: How you doing? How's uh, how's Boston, or it's how's good. how's the, the East, well, right? Because you're in Providence now, right? I'm
4: actually in Providence. I'm sort of in the the backyard of of the Hasbro. Uh, uh, right. You know, oh yeah. Say hi. Say hi to so us. I, yeah. Will I will, um, and uh, yeah, things are good. Things are good.
0: Nice. We recently yeah. saw you at uh, uh, PAX East, which was, uh, which
4: was fun to get to, to high five. It yeah. was, absolutely. And how, how, how have your summers been for you all?
1: Very good, yeah. summery. Good weather. And I hate Thanks. complaining because it's like 84 and we're all like, oh my God, it's another heat wave. It's really awful. But it is, it's really hot. It's hot for the Pacific Northwest.
0: Yeah. Hot for Seattle for yeah. sure. Yeah. What's it been like uh, over there?
4: okay it hasn't been brutally hot yet we've had it's been incredibly dry i think that's the one thing that is uh people are complaining about there just isn't very much rain but we've been hitting the 80s but nothing has quite hit the 90 degree mark and uh so far fingers crossed nice that's where i start getting really uncomfortable that's where i'd be happy if it just stayed at 80 82 i'd be totally happy with that that would just be perfect for
1: me no humidity a gentle (laughs) breeze yeah exactly yeah
0: so, uh, I, this is, of course, Ethan Gilsdorf. We intro we, we, uh, uh, you in the intro, uh, but, uh, in the uh-huh. professional sense. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, for people who are not, uh, uh, you know, uh, already following you on the Twitters, uh, Ethan, tell us a little bit about, uh, about your background with uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, sure. And, yeah.
4: So, uh, I'm a longtime uh, player and... Started out way back in the old old days in the nineteen seventies and eighties, and was a pretty serious D and D player as well as other role playing games that um, were being published at the time: the the, the the Boot Hill and the Gamma World and the Metamorphosis Alpha, all the sort of different permutations of role playing games. And then I mistakenly, stupidly, sort of s- turned away from it and uh, <laughs> put it all put it all behind me. And uh, around the time that I graduated high school, and I rediscovered. Uh, D and D, gosh, about ten years ago, and the journey of my rediscovery of D and D was the sort of kickstarter for a book I wrote called "Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks," where I talk about, you know, that particular journey of mine and and a kind of a larger cultural look at the, the 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 ways and the reasons why fantasy and gaming and all kinds of nerdy subculture stuff that was was quite fringy, as a kid uh, growing up in the Reagan administration uh, has now become. You know, super, super mainstream, and sort of what that might be all about. Um, so that's sort of the, my backstory with the game. And uh, so since this time, I've been been back playing, and that's been wonderful and reconnecting with with um, with the hobby.
0: Yeah so uh I mean when when you played when you were a kid uh what was it that uh you connected with that you thought that that uh, that that made it so so important uh, uh to you as far as you know was it the the imagination was it the escapism like what what was it that drew you to, to Dungeons and Dragons
4: well, I think initially, I mean, what's curious about this, I think, is that I think at the time I had very little consciousness of the of the reasons what I why I was drawn to it. I think retrospectively, looking back on my life, I think that the 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 lure of the imagination and, and the escapism of it was absolutely crucial uh, to me. I had sort of a a tricky childhood and some difficult family situations with with. Uh, with, with my mom and a disability that she she uh, suffered. So I think it was completely coincidental that I discovered d d but the fact that it happened at the same time that this other sort of storm of, of emotional activity was happening in my life was, was huge. But as it turns out, I mean, I was sort of already being primed, you know, sort of being, you know, lured down the road. I'd already started to read, you know, fantasy and science fiction, and I was always into – you know into uh star wars and other kinds of early you know early expressions of this stuff so it was it was a very much in the back of my mind i think the i think the um the living in another world and kind of the the agency and power that that provided me as a average you know powerless teenage kid <laughs> something was very i think very appealing to me what um, uh,
0: what what character class or role did you did you gravitate towards to in that era
4: I think I mostly played fighters. I think there was something about the combat and about the sort of physical ability that I lacked. Oh. Uh, you know, as a kid, I felt pretty wimpy and, and, and kind of was very shy and very introverted. So I didn't, ha- I didn't have a, a kind of brash, you know, confident personality. And I really envied that, I think, in, in my peers and some of the kids in, in school who I feared, of course, you know, I was sort of typically, typically nerdy in that way. So I think the, the, that was sort of something was very appealing about that. And I would say the Hobbit thief, or I should say Halfling, excuse me, but uh, you know the, the the thief character. There was something always very appealing about about um, sneaking around and yeah. uh, working behind the scenes
0: and outsmarting your 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 foes rather than than uh, uh, brute force necessarily. Exactly,
4: exactly. I mean, I think that I think that kind of character is is uh, you know something that very much you know sparked my imagination. Um, and, and I think, you know, on the D, on the DM side, I think ultimately the game was most interesting to me as a DM, although my, the group I played with in high school, we all traded off the DMing duties. But I would spend hours and hours, you know, drawing maps and, and both of dungeons and, you know, sort of lands and coming up with names and writing up these backstories and histories. And that I really feel now looking back, that's that was me just trying to tell stories, you know, I was just trying to get yeah. So, So. <sighs> oh. Failing, failing miserably, but you know, but uh, you can see the germ of like some some actual creativity uh, on display there. You figured it out eventually. That's good. I did. I figured it out exactly. Exactly.
0: Nice. So we're we're talking to you because you recently did a uh, a TEDx talk, uh, yes, in which you went through uh, you know kind of stuff that some of the stuff you went in, in, into your book, uh, but in much more of a uh, uh, you know hey this is this is why D and D is important. Uh, not just for kids, but for adults. Maybe even especially more so for adults.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the it was really an interesting challenge. I mean, I had I, this is a topic that's near and dear to me, and I feel very strongly that D and D is fun and just is just a great activity. But when I look back on my life and I look back on my experience and I think about where I am today, I really I think there's a, a case to be made for not only me but other people who who played it. That there's a really great training that happens. It's kind of accidental, uh, but you you if you get into the stuff and you really get sucked into the world of D and D, you you end up teaching yourself some some wonderful lessons. And so this TEDx talk is called "Why Dungeons and Dragons is Good for You in Real Life," <laughs> and um, you know you can easily find it uh, on the internet just by typing in you know TEDx or TED and D and D. You can find it, and it was a really interesting challenge, you know, uh, Greg and Shelley to kind of find a way to distill what I felt like were the key lessons um, of d and or sort of how it prepares you for life. And I originally had 10, and then I sort of got it down to 7, and I finally <laughs> got it down to 5 lessons, which is, it's a gross simplification, but you guys know the TEDx talk format. You have to come up with an idea and try to distill it into a very short, you know, 18-minute talk. And so it's, it's, it's a tricky thing, but, and also as well as to make someone who, who's not a d and player get interested in this. So presenting it from sort of a ground-level you know, here's what the game is. You've probably heard of it. You probably haven't played it before, uh, but here's sort of the basics of how the game is played. And then here are the five the five things I think that you know that I'm going to call out. This sort of talk about why it's really you know useful uh, for you in real life. So what uh, what kind of feedback have you gotten? From, I mean, everybody should
0: go check out this talk. It's actually it's really really it is. It's uh, it's, uh, it's
1: heartwarming. I told I told Greg that it actually got me a little misty eyed. Yeah, oh, thank well, you. I mean. I really possibly because
4: you uh,
0: you yourself got a little misty-eyed in the talk
4: uh, yes i unmistakably uh, you know was not a pre-rehearsed moment there were a couple things that happened during the talk one is that the the slideshow in the middle of my talk pooped out and and there was a (laughs) funny moment where i i had to kind of scramble but also there was a moment where i was talking uh, about my mom and her disability and i was surprised at, at kind of how it caught my throat there from him I was yeah. like oh 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 no oh no yeah well it was um, a, it was
0: a really uh touching and honest moment I thought
4: yeah that was well great. I was so I was thank you and I was so exhausted at that point I had <laughs> i had rehearsed the thing many times and I was a little bit nervous it, it was also very thrilling to give the talk in front of a live audience and yeah. I think it all kind of came together in that you know long day I was the last person to go on and I was really amped up and then I think I just was like oh wow this is getting a little choked up here, yeah, yeah I
1: think the audience appreciates. It. I mean, it just comes across as so genuine anyway, and you're clearly so passionate about d and d and about the impact that it's had on your life. And I just felt like it was, oh, I, I mean, i've I've heard a lot of your of of the stories, and i've I've read your book and followed your career and all, and just like I don't know, there was just something about that talk that was really very special. So
4: thank you. yeah, thank you. Well, I think it's something. Some of the feedback I have gotten about it, which has been helpful. I mean, part, some of it's people who've written me, or you just read the comments on on the YouTube uh, page where people talk about. I think it makes them think about what what the how the game has affected them, and I think yeah. I think some people they're very flip and they go, "See, you know, all those all those you know years wasted in the, in my parents' basement were not were not for are we're not weren't for not you know actually yeah. something out of this." Um, but I, one thing that I thought was really interesting, and, and you, you two have probably come across this a lot, is that I think a lot of parents today are worried about their kids, um, you know, what they're doing in their free time. And mm-hmm. you know, kids, of course, have many, many more opportunities to, to do stuff and to learn things and to see things and, uh, than I did certainly growing up. But that a lot of parents are concerned about socialization and they're concerned about screen time. and a lot of parents to me after the talk when I was there in person and later you know they just said yeah this sounds like a really good thing for my kid I'm really worried about how much time they're spending looking at their iPad or their iPhone or whatever it is and and they're really trying to come up with good reasons to get the kids to like learn how to talk to each other and you know some kind of face-to-face experience where you're also doing something together you know that's that's not just sports and sports are wonderful and and I, I didn't have that experience growing up I was not a jock but but for those kids who are not going to be jocks who, who want that experience, you know, d d offers that in the same way. And I think for some parents, this is like the, the magic bullet, you know, in some ways.
0: I, I love that. Uh, uh, I mean, because, I mean, I think I'm of the same, you know, near enough to, to your generation where the jocks are even like a, a, a term. I don't even know if that's a term anymore that people do that where people, you know, <laughs> who play sports are called jocks. But yeah, it, it yeah. definitely brought back those breakfast club I was kind still, of moments.
1: I went yeah. to the breakfast <laughs> club too. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: but, you know, I, I, I think that... Uh, you're right. In that era, uh, that '80s era, it was any kind of nerdy uh, pastime was looked down upon by both parents and uh, uh, other kids. And it's you, it is interesting how it's gone full circle, right? Where the, now those pursuits, um, the ones that are a little bit more and you know bookish, or, or ones that are you know about pretending or about you know being in, in, in another place, are the things that are missing out of out of everyone's life. You know, and I think you know before. Um, technology kind of really grew to what it is now, you know, 99% of play with kids was pretend and, yeah. and make believe. And yep. now that number is reduced. Uh, I don't even know what it is now, but, you know, it just keeps getting lower and lower and lower. And so anything that a parent sees that's like, oh, this is, this is pretending. It's, 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 you're making up stories. You're doing things that are, are active. You're uh, talking. Yeah, you're talking. You're, face to face. Yeah. And so you know, it's, it's so funny how it's gone, you know, completely almost full, full circle from 40 years ago where it was like, these things are, are bad and, and we'll, I mean, I remember, I mean, I've talked about it on this podcast before, my mother actually forbade me to play Dungeons and Dragons because of the social aspect. She said, mm. she said that other kids would look down upon you and so therefore you shouldn't play it. And I know from experience because I had a friend at church whose son only played these games and he sits by himself and doesn't actually talk to anyone so they didn't, anymore. So did she not
1: understand that you had to have people around no, you to play?
0: No. Didn't, she didn't understand the game at all. It was all from, you know, old ladies at church talking. So it was very not <laughs> learned uh, uh, at all uh, what she was saying. But it was. It, but it was a social concern. It was like, oh, you're going to end up you know wow, like this kid so
4: oh yeah. interesting that's so interesting I wonder what happened and it's changed
0: kid. it's totally it's yeah. totally full it's circle like now we're a famous where, where parents are, in
4: hollywood yeah right
0: <laughs> yeah and that was
4: uh, famous director. <laughs> jj abrams about, yeah, that was, <laughs> 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 i mean Don't. the irony about that is that so many parents were worried about at least back in the day some parents the ones who were maybe conservatively oh yeah religious had concerns about its its um occult nature the, yeah 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 exactly it was a cult activity or it was some you out, could sum it but not monsters. so much that this is going to turn like I'm really sorry Greg this I, I don't want you to play this game because I feel like it's going to turn you into a like a, a nerd who's going to get beat up in the locker room you know I mean that's an interesting take yeah, on it yeah
0: yeah and it it's, i mean and you're right that it's it's come full circle where parents are now actively uh, embracing these kinds of activities yeah, uh, yeah because of their socialization so it's funny
4: and i sort of talk about that in my in my in my TEDx talk i don't i don't really want to you know diss or like beat up on all the wonderful ways that we can entertain each other today, and I, I'm a huge, you know, video game fan, and mm-hmm. uh, love the fact that Game of Thrones is, um, you know, mainstream, and Harry Potter, and Lord of the Rings, and all these things that were absolutely not in the mainstream as a kid growing up. But I like, I like the idea that kids have and adults have access to these fantasy experiences, and and that it's popular, and it's finding people are finding meaning in these, mm-hmm. um, and that's all wonderful. And but the thing that I I worry about a little bit is that there's so much of the way that we tell stories or the way that we experience storytelling is largely passive, and there's just very few opportunities that we have an opportunity, you know, a chance to sit around and sort of make our own entertainment, whatever that is, just chit chatting on a table and cracking jokes, and or actually constructing a narrative that's sort of for just for the enjoyment of each other. And I just feel like that's such an important part of why D and D has power, and that. You really can't quite appreciate it unless you actually – I mean you can sit and watch it and obviously you guys have programs where you can watch other people play. But there's just nothing right. that quite replaces the actual experience of playing it yourself where you are involved in that imaginative experience.
0: Yeah, I think more and more uh, – and even you know, uh, uh, people like uh, my parents from from different generations – just didn't know, right? You were like they never experienced anything like that themselves, no, so they no. just assumed it was uh, it, it was something that well, was there wasn't not worthwhile. It, anything like yeah. it, at, right. even
1: other games. Right, like but then now is.
0: now that it's becoming more and more, as you say, uh, mainstream or at least you know known about. Uh, 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 you know people can watch it. it's it's you know and professional too. and successful people who who propone you know are proponents of it., yeah. yep. you know, like yourself, Ethan. I mean, you're a big poster child now for my mom. I'm just like, look at what Ethan. He's yeah. Done. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah,
0: look at what he's done.
4: I can do it no, too. No, no. Don't ever look too closely at everything I've done. (laughs) (laughs) From a distance. Nice New England boy like yourself. For
0: example, what do you mean? I don't understand.
1: (laughs) Yeah, now we are going to (laughs) dig. Yeah, I know. Now I want to. Google (laughs) my name.
0: Turn safe search on, kids.
4: Right,
1: right. (laughs) So, Ethan, how did this TED Talk even come about? How does one get to do a TED Talk?
4: Well, you know, it's a bit mysterious. I mean, I think there's two levels of Ted. I will say like, I feel like this is Ted level one and then there's Ted level 10. Ted level 10 is the Ted talk at the Ted level, which I believe is a little harder to get into. And in some cases the, those speakers are, um, that are actually organized at events by the Ted organization, the the parent organization. Those are, I think are by invitation only or they have a lot of, um, you know app- applicants but there's a ways to submit your idea there's these local events these independently organized ted events called tedx mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they are all over the place and i'm sure there's some out where you guys are and just about every there's literally hundreds of them every year and so i just happened to have uh, a friend of mine who lives in the town of portsmouth new hampshire which is near to the town i grew up in in new hampshire and she said hey i'm i'm uh you know, involved in this group, do you want to submit an idea? And so I, I sort of threw their, you know, I heard about it through, through a friend. It was actually just a recommendation. I'd never, I'd always dreamed of doing this, but I hadn't actually really taken the time to investigate how I would do it. So it's, um, the, you know, I, my understanding is that the committees of people just evaluate ideas and I think they're looking for a day of uh, have you guys ever been to a TEDx or TED event before? I, I've seen other ones. I've
0: seen other presentations. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, it's 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 a good way to bring that, uh, you know, like the the Uber TED, like the big the big huge TED convention, to a much smaller uh, yeah uh, and more more community based level, which I think is, is is very cool. I mean, you know, you don't really think of that many things happening in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, about you know big ideas. Uh, exactly. But exactly. then now, because through TEDx, it's happening, so it's cool.
4: Yeah, and they, they I think each individual, you know, committee has their own ideas of what they want their day to look like, and I think they try to make a diverse, yeah, program. So there was someone talking about like the sex life of, of fish and sea creatures because it's you know a coastal town, and other people talking about domestic violence, and, and it was really quite moving. The whole day it was <coughs> wonderful. And another person, uh, a guy I know who who uh, has written about sort of his manifesto against football, about sort of the morality of football, and. Violence. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a whole it's a whole day of stuff, and if you attend the day, it's actually it's kind of an amazing thing. It's a bit of a long haul, but you're there for like six hours, and you know you pay your fifty dollars and you get to be there and just hear all these people stand up and yeah. Give these we want as
0: well. we want people to do like a full court press on all TEDx yeah. events and do talk about your uh, your your experiences with Dungeons and Dragons and uh, yeah. Uh, and what it's infiltrate meant to the TED talks. Yeah,
4: yeah. There's been some other people who've who've given similar you know similar talks, and I think it's a great. I mean, the a way, it's perfect because, you know, people who are D&D players are good at telling stories. And the way, the best TED Talks, the ones that I've seen are the ones where the person up there is telling a story. In addition to some brilliant idea, they have some storytelling element to it. Right. So I feel like in some way, like, the the, the training I've had as a, as a D&D player and then that, as a writer for many years. And now, like, that kind of fed in nicely to how I would, how, you know, I have 18 minutes up there. What do I, what do I say? How can I engage my audience? And, uh, telling a story is like the perfect way to do it. So, so what did you, what did
0: you learn, uh, uh after, after giving this talk, how would you the do whole
4: experience it? Yeah. I, you know, I would, I would probably, well, I learned a couple things. One is that it's actually really hard to memorize content for me anyway. I'm not an actor. Yeah. Uh, really. And the Ted, the Ted model is really that you get up there with a couple notes you can look at like on a on a video monitor but you're really trying to go off book entirely and that's me it's hard i mean i can stand up in front of a crowd and yammer on forever especially if i have like a powerpoint or a couple a couple things scribbled down on a piece of paper to follow but boy if you have to get it exactly timed and there's if you have a slideshow to go with it there's a it was more of a performance and so i you know i would say like next time ethan you should (laughs) take some more time you know you take even more time i i would love to have had even more time, I felt like just like everything one does. Like if I'd only had more time, it could have yeah. been better. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would learned, run. I would run have, so
0: many more D D campaigns if I only had more
4: time. Exactly. Yeah. So that part was that part was was you know just more of a time space thing. I just tried to fit it into my schedule, and it's just the kind of thing where it kind of became a full time job for about a week.
3: <laughs> yeah, you got <laughs> to devote yourself. <laughs> the,
4: uh, yeah, but I will say the other lesson is that I think it was re- immensely rewarding, and I wasn't expecting there to be a kind of Emotional payoff, I and mean, I really felt like the fact that it went pretty—I well, think it went pretty well for me. I'm usually not very happy with things like that that I do, but I was very happy with how it came out, and I didn't feel like I screwed up that badly. So, the fact that it was there in front of a live audience and I got a lot of immediate, you know, feedback—it was a very, it's very rewarding to be doing that in person in front of people and then be able to kind of debrief with them afterwards. And uh, so, I recommend it. I think you guys should should do one, or maybe you know, yeah. maybe Wizards could could host one or something. I don't know how they get. We may I'll have get- a,
0: a few irons in the fire on, on that. So uh, yeah. hopefully, hopefully you'll see more, more uh, announcements down the line. Oh, really? It yeah.
4: sounds, very, yeah. sounds very cryptic. Very right. cryptic. Very. I know. I'm used to
0: I'm, I'm, you know. Not only I'm the comms manager, i got lots of cryptic things to, to <laughs> go, like, go, go like to your phrases. That's like whole job just
1: to like, say cryptic things. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh, so everybody should go check out uh, 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 Ethan's talk. Uh, where's the what's the best way to to find that? Uh, I know it's on it's on YouTube. Is it under TEDx Ethan Dolzorf? It Bilsdorf. is under
4: TEDx. Yeah, I mean when you go to the TEDx page you're basically looking at a YouTube feed but they they've connected to it. So if you type I mean you don't, don't even have to even type my name which is sort of complicated but uh, it's not Ethan complicated. Well, you know it's 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 a sort of it's a sort of hard one. Sometimes people can't get the Gilsdorf right, but yeah, if you typed in TEDx and D and D, you would get it. But um, certainly, if you go to the TEDx website and just type in Dungeons and Dragons, you'll you'll find it. There's not that many talks. There's Excellent. Only one talk that actually mentions it, which is great. So for the moment, um, I'm the only one writing <laughs> about it. You're right? the only show in town. All right, it's nice. Next. <laughs> and what uh,
0: uh, what uh, what else do you got coming up uh, that you might want to hit people up with? What uh, uh, obviously your Twitter yeah. your Twitter is always uh, abundant yeah. with uh, links.
4: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Ethan Freak. Because um, you're a freak. And I, you know, I'm still writing for different places, um, Wired and the New York Times and the Boston Globe and writing about geek culture. So my stuff appears from here here and there uh, about the internets. Um, and then, of course, your and, book. And my book, yeah, Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks. So I would always be happy to have people... Check that out. That would be wonderful.
0: <laughs> Maybe buy a copy, but just you just look at it at yeah, least in the bookstore. Just, just that's close. Just check it out. Yeah.
4: Exactly right. <laughs>
1: it's a great gift for your geeky friend. <laughs> it
0: is a good one. Yeah, that's true. It is. I think yeah. I've I think I have gifted it to uh, to here. a friend of mine. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was Thank going you. through going through a hard time, so yeah, I I love that it uh, it dealt with, you know, uh, the, I, how how gaming can 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 help with adversity.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the big lesson here is that this is all very fun, and we do it because we love it, but you know, like a lot of passions and hobbies, you know, there, there are benefits you get from them and, you know, you may not know it in the moment, but looking back, you can say, Oh, this is, you know, this stuff has meaning and it has purpose and, uh, it, it connects us in ways that honestly, you know, now more than ever, given what's happening in our country and the fact that it's hard for people to sometimes, uh, see each, see each other's points of view or right. empathize with the other person or, you know, be able to sit across the table from them. I feel like. You know, D D&D and D and similar pursuits are absolutely the right solution, the right the right medicine for our, our, our country. Damn it!
0: I think we're going to get uh, 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 Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, and David Cameron around a table.
4: <laughs> 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 Work out Play some D and D. It'll be great.
0: All right. Well, thanks guys- so <laughs> thanks so much, Ethan. Uh, it was really good talking to you. Um, Speaking-
4: Thank you for having me on. It's great to be back. It's been some years since I've been on your podcast, and I'm, it's glad to be glad to be back part of your your uh, your world again. And, and thanks for you know thanks for being such a great support of my my work. Awesome. Thank you. Well,
0: we love it, and that's that's you, you make it easy. You yep. make it easy. So cool. Thanks, man. And uh, right. yeah, we'll talk again soon.
4: Thanks, right, Ethan.
1: Bye. Okay.
0: Bye. Bye. I really like that, Ethan Gilsdorf. He's good people. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. He's on uh, all, all those amazing places that he mentioned. Uh, d- uh, again, check out his book. Check out his talk. Uh, he just says really smart things. Yep, like, and a, great. like a like and a real writer. Great old pictures. I don't, not like a real, not writer. fake writers. Like 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 I am. You're a real writer. I'm a fake writer.
1: But <laughs>
0: you actually have a book, like
1: real book too. Two. dude two. Two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, where can you find uh, Shelly Moo? Shelly Moo. On Twitter, yes. Tell her that uh, she is a real writer. And uh, tell one Greg
1: day, he's a real writer. One day You're you'll the be a, one who has this a real this little complex.
0: You'll be a real. We need to person. talk about this. Yeah, no, one day we will. Uh, All right. I guess I have to actually would write something. Would you like
1: to be a guest on the podcast? Right? I would. Let's talk. That'd be so,
0: can we yeah. go back in time to when I could be a guest on the podcast? Oh.
1: The podcast. The
0: podcast.
1: You can still be a guest on the podcast.
0: All right. Well, you can tell me how awful my uh, Boston accents are on uh, on Twitter. I'm at Greg Tito. Um, of course, you can find out everything about Dungeons and Dragons at Wizards underscore D N. The letter N D. Um, Trevor Kid will uh, hook you up with anything you need information wise there. Um, and of course,
1: and follow some Avalon Hill. And follow some too. Avalon Hill Avalon too. Two, the number two.
0: The Electric Boogaloo Twitter That's handle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you got some exciting stuff coming up from Avalon Hill. We do. We do. I'm yeah. excited about it. I like to play all of, all the games.
1: All the games are all good. All at once. You do. You are in a lot of like the games them. around the, the office.
0: That's right. I yeah. like to I like to partis. Yep. It hates. Are you in
1: our risk Legacy game? I
0: want to be. I think we, we, uh, we didn't get to figure it out, but, yeah, I want, I want to jump in. All right. Yeah. I,
1: I like, like that, that game. It's like diplomacy without all the hatred.
0: Yes. But what hatred is there gets codified permanently on the board, which I think is great.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Like real life. Like real life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks, you guys. Thank uh, you. Don't forget to give us some ratings and reviews and uh, spread the word. Dragon Talk is here to stay. <laughs> I just made made that catchphrase up. Boom. Nice drop.